Hi, to uh, prove the first one wasn't a fluke, this is Diana. And I'm Matthew. Again, with Dyson Dachshunds, with Buddy and Mikey. And we're going to talk about some games that are good for families in response to a listener question. We've also had some requests for more Dachshunds. And while the boys are actually pretty quiet while we're recording, I've been following them around with a microphone to pick up all sorts of sound effects for you. For example, here's one of Buddy's tap dance routines. And I spared no expense in collecting one of Mikey's champion burps. Now we can listen to it whenever we want. Anyway, um, back to the games. None of the games we have are really suited for very young kids, um, so the games that we're going to be talking about are more for uh, teens and tweens. Or are, in general, games that a gamer could teach to their extended family of non-gamers without people being left behind. So the first game that I was going to talk about is Gloom by Keith Baker at Atlas Games. Gloom is a storytelling game with cards uh, based on the work of Edward Gorey. If you haven't heard of him, you should Google him. Um, he did the uh, opening credits of Mystery. It's where most people have encountered him if they're not, oh yeah, Edward Gorey. Anyway, um, it's a game in which each player chooses one of several families to be uh, your, your family that you're playing. And the point of the game is to make your family members as miserable as possible and give them the most tragic possible deaths. And your opponents are trying to make theirs even more unhappy. And so when you're playing cards on each other, it's cards that are trying to make other players less unhappy. It's, it's got a, you know, fun sense of morbid humor. Gloom, I think, would hit a, a nice sort of teen-tween sensibility without having to do complicated math and stuff. They've also produced a whole boatload of expansions for Gloom, so if you get hooked on the system but want more for your game, uh, that's easy to come by. So I might as well follow up a card game with another card game. The card game I'm going to talk about is called Smash Up. It's designed by Paul Peterson and published by AEG. Smash Up is sort of a my first deck builder game. Smash Up is neat because it gives you the feel of having some agency over the deck you're bringing into the game, but you only have to make two choices. Basically, within the box, there are different factions, all associated with different aspects of geekdom, so ninjas, robots, zombies, pirates steampunk. You take two factions, like ghosts and killer plants, and you smash them together, taking two small decks to make one bigger deck. And that is the actual deck that you play with. And each of these factions has their own unique art style, which is really cool, but they also have unique aspects to their play style. The robots bring out a lot of small creatures that can upgrade other creatures, while the wizards let you draw a bunch of extra cards. So when you combine the two together, you get a deck that puts out a lot of creatures and lets you draw a lot more creatures, and so on. 
You can mix any two decks. I believe the base box comes with eight. They've brought out a whole bunch of little expansions, which each include four more decks. They actually just brought out an expansion called Pretty Pretty Smash Up that targets factions that would be stereotypically associated with young girls. So princesses and unicorns, cats and fairies, that sort of thing. It's a little bit of a blunt instrument, but they really are trying to cover all of their bases. And the base set is roughly $20. It gives you lots to play with. But if you want to keep adding to your game, you can pick up these four deck packs for $13, $20 each. And people can keep smashing different groups together with each game where they can really settle into a combination that they like and get really good at using it. The next game that I wanted to talk about is Roll for the Galaxy by Wei Hua Huang and Tom Lehman of Rio Grande Games. It is a, a dice game with tiles. You roll a cup full of dice. The game comes with hundreds of dice. Well, over a hundred dice anyway. And based on what faces you roll, there are a bunch of different kinds of dice that are more likely to come up with one face than another. And based on what you roll, that gives you different kinds of workers for your galactic conquest. Um, some of them are explorers, and some of them are colonists, and some of them are traders. And so you can use those to colonize planets and develop your technology and uh, trade goods from one planet to another, um, which gives you money and victory points and the first person to expand their empire to a certain size wins the game. It's quick, it's easy, it's fun. There's some sort of economic math, but it's not, you know, nobody has to do trigonometry in their head. And it's, we just find it really addictive. We get on a kick and play that one for a week at a time, and that's a little bit rare for us in games. Roll for the Galaxy is absolutely awesome. It's one of my favorite games in our collection, and it's certainly easier to pick up than Race for the Galaxy, which is its predecessor, which is regarded to be awesome but also infamously hard to pick up. I do have to say, however, that I'm a little concerned about teaching it to non-gamers. A game that I would recommend as a better starting point would be Kingsburg, and I'm going to butcher these names, but by Andrea Ciarvezio and Luca Iannaco. It's put out by Fantasy Flight Games. Like Roll for the Galaxy, there's no direct confrontation, which is nice for family games. It involves rolling dice and then using those dice as workers to influence different members of the king's council, who will then give you different benefits, which you use to build up your personal province. The nice thing about Kingsburg is that in the base game, everybody has the exact same build tree. Uh, they're dealing with the exact same advisors. And you're picking your worker placement spots in turn on the same central board. Personally, I think this makes it easier to teach than Roll for the Galaxy, where you're assigning dice behind a shield and then revealing your choices to everybody else. 
with Kingsburg, people can talk you through what your options are based on the dice that are in front of you. Of course, the fact that everybody's using the exact same province build tree means that Kingsburg can get a little samey game after game, but fortunately, they brought out an expansion that adds tons of variety. It also has a bit of a push-your-luck mechanic where at the end of each year, Kingsburg takes place over the course of several in-game years, you know monsters are going to come try and pillage your province, and you know a range of how tough they're going to be, but you don't know exactly how strong they're going to be when they arrive. So you're deciding how much of your overall resources you want to put towards defending yourself versus using them to build and get more points. I agree. Kingsburg is a great game, and it totally belongs on this list. I would say that all Roll for the Galaxy needs is like one round with your shields down, and you know that takes care of it. But Kingsburg is a little simpler, and it also it doesn't require explaining a lot of iconography. The dice are plain old six-sided dice, and the different things they roll are just the regular numbers that they always roll, and then you have to uh, assign them based on total numbers. So that's a, a simpler kind of dice rolling game. The next game that I wanted to talk about is Castles of Mad King Ludwig by Ted Alsbach of um, Bezier Games. It's a tile game where you're, you're Mad King Ludwig and you're trying to build your castle. And so every turn you are placing tiles that represent different rooms. There are overall goals, you know, where you get extra points for square rooms or sleeping rooms or doors to the outside or doors that don't, don't go anywhere. And uh, you also have secret goals where just you get extra points for certain things. And so you go around placing rooms and staircases and all kinds of things and it's nice and light but you also kind of have to think you know okay this one loses points if it's adjacent to this one but this one gains points if it's adjacent to this one and this goal everybody knows about but this is my special goal and this one gets me eight points but this one gets me four points you know all the different considerations there so it's sort of the right level of complexity and it's it's pretty easy to set up and take down and everything because it's just tiles. It's definitely neat to be able to look down in front of you at the end of a game of Castles of Mad King Ludwig and just see the neat floor plan that you've built. Another cool aspect of the game is that each turn, one player is the master builder, and they will actually draw the rooms that are going to be on sale that turn, and they set the prices for those rooms. So this is the primary way that you get income is by selling rooms from the deck to the other players. So you want to make them pay you as much as possible for the rooms they want without pricing them so high that they won't be interested, while at the same time figuring out a way to hide the room you want in amongst them where hopefully no one will buy it before you get a chance because you set the prices, but you buy last. The tile game I'm bringing to the list is a classic called Carcassonne by a nice German gentleman whose name I'm going to horribly disgrace, Klaus-Jürgen Rede. I don't know. It's W-R-E-D-E. Uh, it's current. Reed? I don't know. Uh, it's currently distributed by Z-Man Games. They just brought out a new version with new art, 
but the old version is lovely too, and I actually prefer the art. That's the version I have. Carcassonne is a very simple but really neat tile placing game where each turn you take a tile from the stack, you turn it over and look at it, and then you choose where to place it in relation to the other tiles. You're constrained in that the landscape elements that are on the tile have to match up with similar elements on any tile you place it next to. And then the second choice that you make on your turn is whether you're going to put a meeple on it. A meeple is a little piece of wood carved in the shape of a person, and Carcassonne is actually the game that was the original origin of the meeple. When you place a meeple on a tile, you're staking a claim to some aspect of scoring on that tile. You can make points by completing roads or completing cities or can't remember the other ones. Monasteries. Or completing monasteries or you can make a long-term gamble by putting the meeple down on its side as a farmer and at the end of the game the farmer points are added up and they can be a lot of points or you could have totally wasted the meeple. When you complete things that you've put a meeple on you get the meeple back except for farmers. So there's an element of strategy in terms of blocking off your opponents so that they don't get to complete the city that they've invested in, and their meeple is thus stuck there for the rest of the game. It can be a nice relaxing game where you're building the city of Carcassonne together, or it can be surprisingly cutthroat if you're in the mood. They make, I don't know, 60 expansions for this game. Probably not 60, but they make a million expansions to this game. How's Probably that? not a million either. <laughs> but, and the expansions all add tiles. Some of them are better than others, I have several, which is really cool because I like having all the extra tiles, but it means that this 30 to 45 minute game in my edition has ballooned quite a bit into a significantly longer game. I don't think I'm going to buy any more expansions, even though I probably only have five of the who knows how many that they've put out. It just, it's getting too big. Carcassonne's a great one. It's a little bit simple for me personally, but I played it and I'm sure I'll play it again and um, I agree that it would be great for people who are a little bit less into complicated mechanics. So the next game that I wanted to talk about is Forbidden Desert by Matt Laycock, Game Right. Matt Laycock will sound familiar to gamers out there because he is also behind Pandemic and Forbidden Desert is it's a cooperative game where you are all stranded in the desert by a helicopter crash, and your only hope for survival is to excavate the ancient flying machine that you were looking for out in the desert and fly in, away in it before you all die of thirst or are buried in sand. Like a lot of cooperative games, it is really easy to lose and uh, fairly challenging to win, and you can set different difficulty levels, which basically are from really hard to really, really, really hard. And there's a lot of sort of very tactile bits to it. You know, you keep moving the tiles around, you keep adding sand cards on top of the tiles. There are physical plastic bits of flying machine that you have to assemble once you've found them. And it's, it's a kind of a game and a toy which I find fascinating, and I think that may be the kid in me, so I hope that families would like it too. Co-op games are an excellent choice for families because you're all in it together. 
that means that it's easy for veterans to bring new players along, explain the rules as you go. Because the difficulty level is, it tends to be set so high in co-op games, it kind of teaches everybody that it's okay to fail, and it makes the triumph that much sweeter when you win. Forbidden Desert is a great value. The price that they ask for it is shockingly low for what you get. I highly recommend it. What Diana didn't mention was the way the board is built. It's a series of randomly set out tiles that are moved during the course of the game by this sandstorm that's trying to kill you all. And it's traveling around the board based on a deck of cards, and it's actually shifting the board around it. So tiles will move closer or further away from the members of your party. It's a brilliant mechanism that I haven't seen used anywhere else, and it really makes for a very cinematic game as you're getting buried in sand and watching your objectives shift further away or closer to you at key moments. Add to that that everyone in this game has a special ability. Everybody has something that they bring to the team that nobody else can do, and you just have a great group. Survival adventure! Yeah, and leadership building experience if you want to use boring corporate speak. One of Matt Leacock's other big games, Pandemic, is also a really good family choice. Your various members of the CDC running around the world trying to control and eventually cure four different disease pandemics that are threatening to overrun the globe. Just like Forbidden Desert, the team is made up of different characters who each have special abilities that nobody else has, and they're so powerful that you'll miss whichever ones you don't have in each given game. The main reason why you should be interested in Pandemic is that once you've got the base game down, you could go out and buy the expansions, but what you really should do is spend 40 to $60 for a copy of Pandemic Legacy, which uses this same base game, but gives it a year-long, in the game world, a year-long narrative where each game in the sequence plays differently. The choices you make in a game permanently change the board, your characters, and other aspects of the game for future plays. You can only really play through it once with one set, but we're maybe two-thirds of the way through the game at this point, and it's been an absolute blast. It's a wonderful, neat experience to do as a family. One other thing that's nice about Pandemic and Forbidden Desert having been designed by the same guy, they definitely have some similarities in gameplay, so once you've learned to play one, the other one will be easier to learn. They're both great games. Pandemic has lots of little bits, and we will learn in the course of this podcast just how much I like games with lots of little bits. In any case, the next game, the last game that I want to talk about is Machi Koro. Uh, Machi Koro is chiefly a card game with dice. Uh, you are the mayor of a small Japanese city, and your people have demanded a bunch of landmarks. They want a airport and a shopping mall and all kinds of stuff like that. And this costs money, of course. So in order to raise money, you are uh, rolling dice. Well, you're using small amounts of money, to develop your town, to buy shops and other sort of, you know, shops and cafes and farms and things like that. And these allow you to slowly build up more money by rolling dice, and then depending on what you roll, 
different other cards will give you different amounts of money and you are sort of saving up your money to buy these landmarks, each of which gives you a really nice special ability if you buy it before you buy the last one, which ends the game. And then whoever buys all the landmarks first wins. So Machi Koro is at its heart a bit of a dice-based game of bingo where you're choosing which numbers to invest in. In addition to buying new places for the bingo numbers to land on your side, you can also put out restaurants that will cost your opponents money when they roll certain numbers. It's both simpler and more complicated than it sounds, but it's really easy to pick up and learn. So we're recording this in the middle of the night. It's getting really, really late, and Buddy is giving me his usual why are we not in the big bed look. So I think we're going to have to end it here. Some other games that you should check out if you haven't already. Ticket to Ride is the classic most common answer when somebody asks what game they should pick up for their family, either that or Settlers of Catan. Ticket to Ride really does live up to the hype. I avoided it for a long time because it looked too simplistic, but it actually has a really nice flow to it. Uh, you should also check out Sushi Go, which is really easy to get into. It's a good beginner's drafting game, and once you get hooked on that style of gameplay, we can recommend more complicated iterations on that same style of play. I think that's it for us tonight. We're going to go to bed, so I hope you enjoyed it. Our puppies are sleepy. Yes, and us too. If you have feedback for us or suggestions for episode themes you'd like us to tackle, send us an email at diceanddoxins at gmail.com. That's and spelled A-N-D, not an ampersand. And until next time, have fun.